You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. So we're in the catechism. We're coming to question 35. Um, and so let's just go ahead and dive on in with our copies of the catechism. Question 35. And we are on sanctification. And after we read this, we'll step back and put it in a bigger context momentarily. Um, but let's just read this now. Question 35. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. This is a wonderfully rich statement and hopefully an encouragement to all of us that the Lord is at work in our lives. And if you remember, we'll take a step back for a minute. How do we come to sanctification? Where does sanctification fit in the big scheme of the Christian life, of our salvation as a whole? And so uh, we've been talking about, so we spent some time looking at Christ, the work of Christ, what he did, his redemption accomplished by Christ. And then the catechism moves us into thinking about how is the work of Christ then applied to us, applied to Christians. And we've talked about this Latin phrase, the ordo salutis, the order of salvation, the logical order by which what Christ has done is applied to us. And we're not going to go through this again, but I'm just going to put it up here to remind us. And if this is new to you, we can go back and listen to the old Sunday school lessons. Um, the ordo is this. God from all eternity elects a people. He, call, he, he chooses a people for himself. And then in space and time, and during their lives, he effectually calls them. That calling inwardly by the Spirit to regenerate them. It's worked through the external calling of the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel, the call to faith and repentance. And in that proclamation, the Holy Spirit works in those who are elected. God works to regenerate them by his spirit. That regeneration is what gives us faith. Having a new heart being renewed in our mind, our wills, and our affections, then we have faith to trust in Jesus. And even that faith is a gift of God. And we call this point the first act of faith, the seed of faith, first time we trust as conversion. So we have regeneration here. Conversion is once we respond by faith and then we are united to Christ. All these three pieces happen instantaneously. So this isn't like at one point I'm effectually called and then later I'm gonna have faith and then later I'm gonna be united to Christ. All of these things happen instantaneously. Uh, although election has happened in eternity past. And in our union with Christ, there are, so, there are uh, many benefits that flow from that. Mark? I was wondering if you could just explain the difference between the Ordo Salutis and the Ordo Salutis. Uh, the Ordo Salutis and the Historia Salutis, right? The history of salvation. And that's what we've talked about before with the work of Christ, the history of salvation in what Christ has come and done for us. So when we talk about uh, Christ's accomplishing salvation, that's the historia salutis, Christ's coming, Christ, the incarnation, Christ's coming to die for our sins, to rise for, for our salvation, um, and then his ascension and pouring out the Spirit. That's the history of salvation. That's in time, space, and history how that was accomplished. And then how do we take that and make it for me? What is, how does what Christ did, how does that apply to me? And that's the ordo. So the ordo is the individual, um, the, how Christ, what Christ has done in history applies to me. So that's a, that's a, a good question. 
um, to see what we're the big picture, what we're talking about here. So we are here looking at, for us individuals, how does salvation come to us? And it's through this, God's gracious work, effectually calling us to himself, giving us faith, uniting us to Christ. And then in our union with Christ, there are a number of benefits that we saw in question, what, 32 or something like that, 33. Uh, there's a number of benefits of our union with Christ, of our effectual calling. And these benefits include justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, and other benefits. So we'll, we'll look at these. Uh, last time we looked at justification, which is that legal declaration, you are righteous because of Christ. And we're skipping over adoption. Pastor Wright will come back to that next week. And we're today looking at sanctification. So all of these pieces happened, whoops, happened together. Effectual calling, faith, union with Christ. Our justification happens instantaneously. Our adoption happens instantaneously. Sanctification, in a sense, we can say it happens instantaneously. But what we're emphasizing here is the catechism, catechism emphasizes the work of sanctification is an ongoing work through our lives. So most of what we see here is an instantaneous thing, but especially when we come to sanctification, uh, these other benefits, and glorification is a later benefit. These things are ongoing through our lives. This is how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is this sanctification process throughout our lives that the Lord is doing. So that's our, the bigger context. This is how God, through union with Christ, is continuing to save us. We can talk about past salvation, justification, Present, or present salvation, sanctification, and future salvation, our glorification. We'll come to that in time. So we're looking at sanctification today. Um, the summary definition I wanna say of sanctification, we've, we use this term a lot and uh, probably assume that uh, we're all on the same page more than we ought to. Uh, sanctification is God's ongoing work to make us more holy in this life. God's ongoing work to make us Christians more holy in this life. And we're seeing that in more words here in our question and answer today. It's important for us to keep sanctification and justification as distinct but related categories. So this is critical as we are reading scripture. Because as we read scripture, we need to understand, is it speaking of justification, that once for all work that has been done, the declaration that we are righteous, or are we talking about sanctification? Is scripture talking about sanct the sanctifying work of God in our lives in an ongoing way? Our call to obedience, right? That's not part of justification, but it's part of our sanctification process. So these are very important categories, even as we read scripture, as we understand who we are before the Lord, we need to understand these two categories as justification is a legal declaration. Sanctification, on the other hand, is a renovative work. We are existentially being made more holy, whereas justification is a declaration on the basis of, of Christ's righteousness that we are holy. So these two categories are important. So let's go into some of the language here of the confession or of the, of the catechism. Um, before we do that, I'm just through a ton at you. Um, I'll pause here for a moment. If there's anything that's stumbling block, confusion, question, anything of that sort. Um, yeah, is it clear in the Old Testament? That's a great question. Um, I'm trying to pull off the top of my head where we could find that distinction. I will say, yes, it is. Um, as we, as you know, pre I'm preaching through the Psalms when I have opportunity to preach in the morning. Um, I think it's clearly there. Um, I, is, it, is it as clear as it is in the New Testament? I don't know. Um, but 
the basis for justification is that statement um, in Genesis, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So justification is clearly there in the Old Testament, uh, the justification by faith alone and Christ alone. Um, sanctification is, there's that continual call to holiness throughout the Old Testament that is part of the sanctifying work of God. It's not part of the justifying work, um, but it's there. So I'll say, yes, it's there. I need to do a little more digging to like, give you the verse that paints them both in their own light. Um, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Very good. Very good. That's good. That's exactly right. And that call to you are set apart, you are holy, therefore live in a holy way. That's what sanctification is. Live in a holy way because you're already holy. Therefore, live in this way. That's exactly right. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you for pointing out what I didn't recall. I think you'll find this mostly in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. They do. They do. Absolutely. All right. Let's go to the question itself, uh, question 35, and we're going to work through uh, some of these key words here. And so we'll start with sanctification is the work. Um, I have a work here. It's the work. It is a work of God's free grace. There's many works of God's free grace. So I'll say a, even though the catechism says the. Um, it is a work of God's free grace. And if you remember this compares with justification. You can look back to question 33. Justification is an act of God's free grace. This is a work. And those, that language there is intentional because the work is to, is to indicate to us this is an ongoing reality, an ongoing work. The act is a one-time punctiliar work or one-time punctiliar, punctiliar act. It happens at one point in time where you are declared righteous. And this is an ongoing work in sanctification. So we have an act for justification, a work for sanctification. And it is a work of God's free grace. And I think this is critical for us as we think about our own sanctification, because sanctification, becoming more and more holy, is God's work. The Catechism doesn't say that sanctification is you participating in God's work. It doesn't say sanctification is you contributing your part to God's work. Sanctification is God's work, not ours. A couple, uh, couple things in this uh, phrase I want to highlight here, and one is a quote by Herman Bovink. Many indeed acknowledge that we are justified by the righteousness of Christ, but seem to think that, at least they act as if, they must be sanctified by a holiness they themselves have acquired. Do we think that sometimes that sanctification is now my job to prove to God how good I am, how holy I am, how righteous I am? It's my job to put to death all my sin. Instead of saying, this is God's work, and now there's a call to us, which we'll get to in a moment, but being made more holy existentially, the sin being rooted out of our heart, this is God's work. God is the one who makes us more holy, who renews us after the image of Christ. And this reality of God's working, this free grace that's being given to us, God working for our sanctification, is grounded in and dependent upon that justification that we spoke of a few moments ago. Without the justification, there can be no sanctification because justification is that declaration of what is really true about us, that we are holy before a holy God. And then, as the Old Testament says, be holy 
because I am holy. We're being renewed to that image. And so there is that call to us to walk in conformity to the holiness that is declared in us. But it is because we are freed from the bondage of sin, we are now set free to serve God. Uh, Michael Horton writes, justification is precisely the basis on which the deepest intent of the law, love of God and neighbor, is written on our hearts by the finger of God. So that thing that we cannot do as unbelievers to love God and love our neighbor, we can't do that from a pure, from a righteous place, from a pure motive. Now in justification, that internal reality is set right. We're rebooted, recalibrated to... recalibrated to have a love that's ordered rightly. And so because of the justification, because of that work that God has done to free us from the bondage of sin, we now can love rightly. We can now pursue a sanctification. We can now pursue what is righteous and good. I think this is fascinating because it compares in some sense to creation, where we can see in creation, God declared on day one, let there be, And then later, he says on days, I believe, five and six, let the earth bring forth fruit. So beginning, he says, let there be the declaration, the making of the reality. And then he says, let that bring forth fruit. And that's what our sanctification is. It's the justification, the fruit coming out of our justification, that we are righteous before God. The the thanksgiving that is now in our heart because of that, out of that growth, it comes our sanctification as God is working in us and applying to us the righteousness of Christ in that existential way. All right, a few more, few more notes here and we'll open up. Uh, this, this passage in Philippians 2 is, is critical for us to understand this aspect of our sanctification, that it's we're called to do something, but it's actually God's work. It's this classic phrase or classic verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there's a call for us to work out, to seek to completion our salvation even with fear and trembling, fearing and trembling before a holy and righteous God. Why? For it is God who works in you. It's not say, it's not, doesn't say work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because, if, because you've got to prove how holy and righteous and good you are. No, it's because God is at work, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what we're called to do is on the basis of what God has done and, and is continuing to do in our lives. So there is a call. There is an obligation for Christians, no doubt, This isn't, sanctification isn't saying, well, I'm as holy as God wants me to be, and so I'm gonna throw up my hands and, you know, I'll just go do my life. And um, no, we are called to obedience. Every Christian, every person on earth, but every Christian is called to obedience. And so that is what we seek to be, an obedient people. But it is God who enables us to grow and become more holy and righteous. Uh, We have... uh, the, the catechism, question 39, which again, we'll come to in time. It says, what duty does God require of man? What is the duty which God requireth of man? And the answer is obedience to his revealed will. This is the duty of all of us to obey God, period. And every, every law that he has revealed, everything that is, uh, that is commanded of us, we are called to obey. We are called to pursue holiness. We are called to do these things. Even when you join Redeemer, you have to answer this question, this membership question, this is the third one. Do you now resolve and promise 
and humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. What is becoming to a follower of Christ? It's Christian conduct. It's obedience to God's law. You have taken an oath, if you're a member of Redeemer Church, to do this, to pursue holiness and godliness, to endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ. Now, the, I'm thankful because the question doesn't say, do you now promise to obey the law? Because we can't promise that because we know we are sin and, and the old man wages war with the new man, on and on and on. But we are called to endeavor to live as becomes the follower of Christ. And what we see is God uses our efforts in pursuit of obedience as one of the means of sanctifying us. So sanctification is God's work, but he uses this pursuit of holiness in us as a means of sanctifying us. So God's even using your efforts as a means that he's sanctifying you and working in you. But we have to be careful, and this is kind of my point here, we are not sanctifying ourselves. The Christian life is not about sanctifying yourself. It's not about um, doing this on your own power. Because the, what does the question say? In humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. The whole Christian life is lived in reliance and dependence upon him. John. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, and so that, that vines and branches is one of those classic uh, illustrations of that union with Christ reality, that we are united to Christ. And because of that, we grow in sanctification. Because of that lifeblood being given to us by our union with Christ, the Spirit is allowing us to feed upon Christ, to grow in our faith, to grow in love for others, and then thus to grow in sanctification. And you mentioned the means, like one of the means of sanctification. How does God sanctify us? And I said one is our efforts. I, I do believe God uses our own efforts as a part of sanctifying us. Um, our own efforts to uh, rewire how we think, right? Uh, the Lord uses that to actually, you know, our the, the scientists say, so I hear, right? Your brains can be rewired with new thought patterns and new habits. It, the, the way your brain fires is redone in that process. So we can intentionally say, I need to stop thinking about that. I wanna think about this. How do I intentionally think differently? And you rewire what is natural for your brain to do in now this good and holy way. So God uses even our efforts to sanctify us. He uses, you said, John, our circumstances. He uses providence to sanctify us. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death that we then must uh, cry out to the Lord to see our dependence upon him. And doing those kinds of things, he is sanctifying us. But all of these things are connected. They're only means of sanctification because they're drawing us to Christ. Because all of this is pushing us back to the one we are united to, growing us in faith. And so the greatest means of our sanctification are those, we talk about them, the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary, regular places where God has promised he will, this grace of the Holy Spirit, he will give it to us. God's word, the proclamation of it, the fellowship of the saints, the sacraments, prayer. These are the means God has promised. When you come and, and avail yourself of these means, I will bless you. I will. 
And so we come and attend to them by faith that the Lord would then use them to sanctify us. Um, I'll give a little pitch here for evening worship. Um, And I'll say, because I I began, um, most of my life wasn't, did not participate in evening worship. Um, And then finally, when I went to seminary, I was at a church that did uh, participate in evening worship. And that's why I wanted to go to this church, had evening worship, and I really wanted to participate in it because I came to the conviction that this is good and right for the Christian. Um, It's not mandated by God's word, but how else would I want to spend the Lord's day but worshiping the Lord? And I have to say, I don't know if Erica would agree with this, um, so you can talk to her later. Um, I would say, I, I do believe at that point in time, beginning now to treat the Lord's day fully as the Lord's day, worshiping beginning and ending of the day with God's people, hearing God's word, I do believe there, that was a, a point of, of tremendous growth in me spiritually. And I attribute that to sitting under the means of grace and now using the whole Lord's day as God intended it for us to find spiritual rest in Christ. So that's my, that's my little push for evening worship and to, and to consider being a part of it because God uses that to sanctify you, right? And it's not about checking the boxes and doing these things and there I'm sanctifying myself, but availing yourself of the means of grace. And it's a wonderful, a beautiful thing as the Lord begins working and continues to be working in our lives. But we also see in the Christian life, uh, Paul talks about, or the Christian life is a battle with sin. So sanctification is not just something that happened to us, but we are engaged in a war, and in the war, God is working to sanctify us. You think of Romans 7, where Paul speaks about this war, where I, I don't do the things I want to do, and I do do the things I don't want to do. And that's the Christian struggle, the Christian life. And that speaks to this reality that we are we, have, uh, we need to humbly rely upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. This is not, we are called to battle and we are called to fight. We are called to put on the armor of God, but the battle of the Christian is one where we are reliant upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. So in summary here in a moment, and then we'll open it up. Our obligation to pursue holiness, it does not either negate the fact that this is a work of God's free grace. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace. And the call for us, to obey does not negate that. But also, and also, this obligation to pursue holiness, this obligation to obey, does not mean that we can take credit for our salvation. And that's really what I'm driving to because it is so easy as a Christian to say, look how wonderful holy and holy I am, but these other Christians over here, they're not as holy as me. They clearly don't care as much as I do. They clearly aren't pursuing godliness as much as I am. It's so easy to look down on others. And that's really what I'm driving at here to help us all humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit to pursue godliness and not use that, not use my godliness or my so-called godliness, my perceived godliness as a means or as a reason to look down upon other believers. It is God who is at work. Okay, there's a lot there. I made a lot of statements. Um, We'll open it up there as sanctification, as a work of God's free grace. I think it's cool I used to say justification is monergistic, but sanctification is synergistic. Do you think that's helpful language? No, no. No, I don't. Um, For this very reason, because then it feels like, you know, um, God's got the ingredients over here. I've just got to put in my ingredient and then I'm sanctified. Um, And then I can now take credit for some of that sanctification. What I'm trying to do is undermine, it is not a result of work so that no man can boast. Not just our justification, but our sanctification as well. 
And so, yes, we are called to holiness and to obey. I am becoming more and more convinced I don't like the term um, um, uh, synergism for sanctification because I think that means then I can take credit for my sanctification when I cannot. So um, I think Sproul and I at the end of the day are not on radically different places. He would affirm that. I just don't want to use the language, although I think you can use the language in a helpful way, in, in, a, in a not... Uh, errant way in this kind of uh, discussion. So I'm not totally against the word. I'm not going to use it. The word pursue bothers me a little bit because that in itself says, I am doing something. But I do understand that you're saying that God gives us the pursuit. That's right. He even gives you the desire to pursue, and he's the one who gives you the victory on, on the other end. So yes, we are called to pursue, but the very fact there's victory or even a desire to pursue is God's grace. Because otherwise we would be, uh, we're, we're utterly um, uh, uh, vulnerable to all the attacks of the devil. We will never do anything good apart from God's grace in sanctification as well. Yeah, Ruthanne. Yeah. Amen. That's right. Amen. That's right. And that's why I wanted to put this all in that bigger context of the Ordo Salutis. This is a result of God's regenerating work. This is a result of God giving us faith, a result of God uniting us to Christ. And this is one of the benefits that flows is God allowing us, enabling us to pursue holiness and him giving us the victory, him making us, as we'll see in a minute, conforming us more to the image of his son. So well said, I love that. You know the, uh, the hymn, I Asked the Lord? You know this hymn? I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. It sounds to me like what you're saying, right? I asked the Lord that I might seek more earnestly his face, that I might grow, that I might know him more, right? That's exactly what you're saying. And this is, I think, the desire of the Christian because I think you're right. We also, we feel like, Lord, why are you allowing me to struggle with this sin? Why am I in the depths of this war with the flesh, with the old man? Why do you not deliver me from this now, right? Um, and I, I could go on and keep quoting the hymn, but the hymn is so wonderful, um, and I'm not going to because I'm gonna forget some of the words. But what he says, he goes on to say, um, I was hoping at one point in time, you would just break my love for the world and you would just allow me at one time to like take up 10, 10 notches in, in sanctification, just in one moment, to grow in holiness. All of a sudden, just boom, this is gone. But he, he talks about this struggle with sin in this wonderful hymn. And it is, um, he goes, um, you know what? Wait right there, I'm gonna go get it. I'll be right back. I've just gotta read it. I can't, I can't do justice to it. We're good. I'm just getting this to read to them. It's okay. <laughs> Everybody's staring at me strange out there like, what in the world are you doing? Yes, we're going off script. Thank you, Rob. 
I asked the Lord 46 in the Redeemer songbook. All right, so uh, verse two says, "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray." have this desire, right? And he, I trust, has answered prayer. So he's, he's now gone through the battle, but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. So the Lord answering this prayer, Rob, be careful praying this prayer, <laughs> right? The Lord has almost drove me to despair. Verse three, I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answered my request and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. That's what we want. Verse four, instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart and laid me low. Verse six, Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord rep replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. And this is the, this wonderful last verse, which is from the mouth of God in this hymn. The, <laughs> maybe, maybe we can sing it next week. We'll see. Um, These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free, and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. So the Lord says, I'm sending you through these trials to break your schemes of earthly joy. So you no longer find joy in these things, these things that only kill and, and uh, you will only die from pursuing these worldly pursuits. But you won't Understand if I take your, your, your heart away from it. You've got to see how terrible and evil these things are, that I would then, through that, break your love of it. Uh, break your scheme, thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. And so the Lord's using these trials, these times of, Lord, why do you let me fall into sin over and over? It doesn't make any sense. It's the Lord at work to break these schemes of earthly joy, to break our heart's um, affection to these things. It, it, would, it does make sense that he could just powerfully remove this from us. And sometimes he does, right? People going from, um, people who, who profess faith is radical conversion, and then they never, you know, are on drugs again, and they never say any bad words again, right? You know, you see this, this great growth and sanctification immediately, but this Christian life is one of battle with the flesh and the world and the devil, and the Lord uses that. All right, John? Mm-hmm. And he goes to, I press on to take hold of that for the perfection of the church faith in me, not that I've already attained it. Right. Right. But I, I press to the upward call of Christ, of God of Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's this idea of that our whole selves are consumed in this desiring God, desiring his glory, desiring his favor, desiring his pleasure. And that's the end. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's the right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And that's that's Psalm 16 at the end. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not worldly pleasures, not the pleasures of our of our heart of our of our flesh, but true 
spiritual, eternal, soul-enriching pleasures at the right hand of God forevermore. So, all right, I, that was a great question, and I wanted to pursue that um, uh, for a moment. We can talk, we can talk more later. Um, yeah, Sandra. That's right. Mm, amen. That's great. I should have put that on there. That's, that captures it so well. I worked harder than anyone else, but it's not I, but God's grace in me, right? And he's also the man that says, I'm the chief of sinners, right? And, and so growing in our sanctification will inevitably lead us to growing in that reality. I'm the greatest sinner. I can't look down on these other Christians because I know my own heart. But where I am, I am what I am because of the grace of God. I love that. Um, when the ladies were going through the assurance of salvation, there was a positive over it. Just positive about how we're held. Mm. The idea that we can rescue us that, but we're assured of our salvation. That's right. How many times are we crying out? Right. And it's only because he, he watches us. He watches over us. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. time after time, he will draw us back. That's right. That's right. That's right. Amen. And, and you saying that makes me um, just remember to reiterate the fact that these things are so true, but we get in trouble when those experiences in our life become the ground of our assurance. When, um, when my experience and my sense of victory over sin is my ground of assurance. That is not our ground of assurance. A ground of assurance is the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The work of Jesus Christ is completed work on the cross. That is our ground of assurance. It is in our justification that we are assured of our salvation. And our sanctification, it can be confirmed in a way, but this cannot be the ground of our assurance. It is in the work of Christ for us. And then that propels us in the battles to, pursue, to, to persevere. Well said. But we still have to speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because some people could hear this and be thinking, well, I don't want to be haughty. I don't want to hear judgment. Right, right. But, and one of the commands is to, when your brother sins, to confront them with that, uh, with all gentleness. Um, but yeah, that's right. It's, it's not excusing sin, but it's understanding that... Um, that the Christian is struggling with sin. And the Christian in sin will be radically different from a non-believer in sin because the Christian will hate a sin and will turn from and will repent of it. That doesn't mean he's never gonna sin again or fall in that same sin again either. But he will truly repent. The unbeliever doesn't repent. He might have worldly sorrow. He might hate the consequences that came from it. But the Christian who sins will repent of that, turn from a sin unto God, clinging to Christ. And so that's the difference. It's not that we're not gonna sin. And we do confront on other believers in their sin so that they would be, they would, they would repent of it and turn back to God. So that, that's a good point. This is, not, this is not licensed to sin in any way, but it's a pursuit of holiness knowing God is doing it and we are always called to repent and turn from our sin. Jonathan. Well, two things. I'm reminded of a meme, like a gif of a guy falling down the escalator. Yes. And he's just trying to get a hold of something, but he's being carried up nonetheless. That's right. That's right. That is, that is very good. Um, yes. Not, not as good as the scriptures would have been. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's good nonetheless. But, uh, but uh, secondly, this is a point of contention in PCA. And more broadly, the sanctification. Without opening a, more of a can of worms, is there any way you can summarize the, 
Yeah, um, I'm not gonna do that right now, in part because you'll get an email from the session this Wednesday um, related to some of these matters, and we, let's, we can talk more after that. Um, so remind me in a couple weeks time to, to follow up on that. Um, and I do think you're right, there are, there's, uh, issues in the PCA right now related to sanctification. And what does that look like in the Christian life? Can the Christian have a vic- have victory over sin in some way? Uh, should the Christian pursue that at all? Or does the Christian throw up his hands and say, ah, it doesn't, you know, I am who I am and I, I'm not going to pursue holiness. Um, that, that is a, a, a live question in some corners of the PCA. Um, but we see good movement on that. Um, just a few, a few notes here uh, in our last few minutes here. Um, the next phrase after speaking of this being a work of God's free grace. Okay, now the, the real definition of sanctification. We are being renewed in the whole man after the image of God. And this is the essentially renovative nature of sanctification. We are being renewed. We're being renovated. This is existentially even. We are becoming more and more like Christ. Colossians 3.10 calls us to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're called to pursue this because it's already happening in you. God is renewing this image. So therefore, pursue this new self. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the purpose. That's the goal of our salvation from the beginning is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And God is working that out. God is doing that. We are being renovated and renewed. And then this final section, uh, well, we're enabled more and more. And this, this speaks to the progressive nature of sanctification. It is something that happens more and more. We grow in it. We're able more and more to live in a holy way. Although to, to Jonathan's point, it's not necessarily linear, right? There's ups and downs. Uh, the other illustration, I like that, of, of falling, stumbling down the, the escalators, the escalators taking you up and you fall down a few stairs and you keep going back up. Another one is like walking upstairs um, uh, with a yo-yo, right? The yo-yo is going up and down, but it's generally on that upward trajectory. So yeah, the Christian does fall into sin, uh, but this being enabled more and more is a progressive Sanctification, it's moving in a upward direction. But this is not complete in this life. Although we yearn for it and we strive for it, it is never complete in this life. And that is the outworking, uh, the consummation of our sanctification is in glorification, is at death. And so we'll come to that later. And then there's two particular elements of what this being renewed looks like, and it's dying unto sin and living under righteousness. And this comes from 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So the work of Christ was done to enable our holiness, to enable our obedience, that we would die to sin and live under righteousness. And it goes on to say, by his wounds, you have been healed. And the the technical theological terms for this are mortification. Mortifying is dying, death. So dying into your sin and vivification, uh, making alive and living under righteousness. So when we are, uh, th- this this helps us get to some practical things. How do we pursue holiness when we're stuck in this sin, when this, this besetting sin continues to haunt us? What do we do? We don't just say no to the sin, but we live under righteousness. Our sin is, is giving us a myopic view of reality, of our lives, of the world, of other people. And what we have to do is not just say no to that sin, but we have to say yes to all that is good and right and beautiful and righteous. 
So sexual sin is not just, I've got to not do that anymore. No, it's saying, look at the beauty of God's creation. Look at the, the beauty of the people that God has made for his own glory. It's not for me to steal that glory from them or to take that or to think it's about me. It's for me to look at those people that God has made and to glorify God because of it. And so more, being more and more righteous, live, living under righteousness is us positively becoming more righteous. It's not just not sinning, but it's saying, how, can, how is God remaking, renewing me in a, in a way to be fully righteous, fully conformed to the image of Christ? Um, there's a lot to be said here. We can go through Romans 6 and Colossians 3. Um, but the, the fundamental um, reality in these two passages that I have listed there, and you can go read them later, is this is who you are. You are dead to sin. You are alive to righteousness. This is who you are fundamentally because of what Christ has done, because of your justification. Therefore, live accordingly. That's not to say you're, you're attaining your own sanctification, but it's grounding our sanctification in that justification. It's saying this is who you are in Christ. Now live accordingly. The call to obedience is not some radically um, arbitrary and capricious law that is laid upon us. This is the law of life as James calls it. This is how we are to, this is how we live fully and truly. And so we see it as now God's path of righteousness for us and we can pursue it because it is God who wills and who works for his good pleasure. All right. Um, any final comments there? There's so much I wanna say, but any, any final comments? It's hard because on one hand we talk about sanctification and then there's the, the process of sanctification. And they are different things. But hopefully talking about sanctification will encourage us, will draw us back to Christ. You're not white knuckling it through the Christian life. It's not you who's doing this. It is God who works in you. So let's rest in him. And because of the life he gives us, we can pursue holiness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are at work. We thank you that we are who we are because of your grace. We take no credit for any of it. For those struggling in sin, we pray that you would indeed give them victory over sin by the blood of Christ, that you would enable them more and more to die into sin and to live under righteousness. And those who may feel haughty or prideful in their attainment of sanctification, I pray that you would humble them and remind them of the indwelling sin that remains, that they would, in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, they would be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. We thank you for Christ. May you be at work in us. And even now as we go to worship you, may you use it that to conform us more to the image of your beloved Son. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.com.